electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Leslie Picker and Mike Santoli. Kramer and David Faber have the morning off. June jobs come in ahead of expectations. 372,000, although revisions were lower. The two-year shoots to 312. And in this good news is bad news world, futures go red as markets now nearly fully price in 75 basis points this month. Our roadmap begins with uh, that jobs number holding strong. Payrolls increasing more than expected, defying some recession fears. We'll get the first reaction from the White House with CEA chair Cecilia Rouse later this hour. Plus, Twitter shares sinking ahead of of the open on reports that the Elon Musk deal to buy the social network may be in jeopardy. And a crypto comeback. Bitcoin rallying more than 20% off its June lows, even with a small dip this morning. We'll begin with that better than expected number for June jobs. As we said, 372. Average hourly earnings Three-tenths for the third straight month. I guess if you're looking for silver linings, maybe no acceleration is good news. No acceleration is good news. As you mentioned in the intro, good news is bad news is kind of the the mantra in this economy. Obviously, it comes in a pretty interesting week in the markets uh, where we've seen some more optimism, uh, perhaps in the equity markets, where some more volatility in the Treasury markets, which... I guess, leads to this uncertainty here with this jobs report, of course, CPI next week as well. Tremendous volatility in the bond market has really been the story. Stocks have kind of been the the sort of slow follower, in a sense, of what's happening there. And after the jobs report, you did see the two-year yield pop up pretty decidedly, well above 3% again, um, slightly exceeding the 10-year yield. Um, So it's it's that same story. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know that the market wanted bad news, but a softer Goldilocks-like jobs report that somehow confirmed the slowdown story a little more pronouncedly than this one does uh, would have pr- suggested the Fed was closer mm-hmm. to that point where it's kind of achieving what it needs to do, which is to soften up employment and demand. But it's worth noting that all the recession talk and this kind of, in a sense, uh, arguably a short-term overshoot in recession expectations was never coming from the job side. Right. right? It was coming from the ISM manufacturing, uh, to some degree personal spending hiccups, housing data, the yield curve, as I mentioned, flattening out, but also from the Fed itself and from the Fed minutes and from the comments after the last meeting of saying it might well be necessary to risk a a recession to do what we need to do. And so therefore, um, people just essentially took that as they want it. It's feature, not bug. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, And today's number says the economy itself can handle more tightening, as Jay Powell has been saying consistently for months. Yeah. Few things moved in the right direction. Uh, Leisure and hospitality wages up two tenths. Prior was nine tenths. Uh, You did get some growth in manufacturing, 29,000 jobs. The the one uh, puzzle, I guess, for the morning is going to be labor force participation. Down a a tenth to 62.2. Prime age labor force down as well. That makes doesn't make a lot of sense. Not much. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough to, to necessarily parse what's going on there, except to say that what the Fed and what the markets would prefer is greater labor force participation. You want the impression out there that there's more labor slack 
than we've been thinking. The market's not as tight. And so, um, you know, it's 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 a it's a one of these deals where the household survey where the unemployment rate comes from is not as strong as the establishment survey where you get the, the headline jobs number. But um, you know, the market, I mean, it's really just kind of taking back a small measure of what it gave you this week. Uh, NASDAQ underperforming or in the pre-market, as you would expect when you have an unwind of that kind of lower yields, uh, disinflationary type move that we had for three days. Yeah. When you look at a, a number like today, though, and, you know, with all the talk about a recession, I mean, can you even have that on the table? Is it possible to have a recession with a number like this? It's not possible to say that we're in it uh, if these numbers hold up. It's, it's still possible to say employment's a lagging indicator. Very low unemployment is something that precedes every recession, right? I mean, uh, by some lead time. Um, and I, I don't know that the market has is, is ever really been in a moment. I mean, a lot of people are saying we've been in one for two months but it's, or two quarters. But it's, it's an unorthodox one if it is one. And I think that it's going to be an unorthodox one because you can't separate out this massive recoil effect from supercharged goods demand that's now coming off, uh, all the, the supply chain stuff that's some measure of the inflation, and, and really a, a labor shortage situation that maybe is changing corporate behavior in a way that's not going to have all the numbers line up the way they do by the textbook in the you know, recessionary uh, you know, kind of storyline. Yep, we're going to get more to some of the layoff reports uh, out of Twitter yesterday, according to some, uh, certainly uh, GameStop and others today. Uh, Bostic, I don't know if they asked him about Atlanta Fed, which is still at minus did, one yeah. nine uh, for the quarter, but Bostic did talk about the number and what it means for the Fed. Take a listen. These numbers, much like uh, what I'm hearing across the 6th District, uh, really suggest that we are starting to see signs of slowing, but they're really just uh, minor signs. And what we're going to have to see and what I'm going to be looking for over the next several months are, are, is evidence that that slowing is becoming much more uh, sustained and much more significant across the board. Uh, so we're starting to inch in the right direction, but there's still a lot more to do and there's a lot more we're going to have to see. If, if we're going to get our, our inflation numbers much closer to the 2% target that we have as our goal. Uh, a lot of echoes there between uh, Bostic and Bullard and Waller yesterday, uh, arguing you got to ratify what the market already expects. Um, and uh, and the, market, the re- market economy remains strong, and even with some guesses about what tonight, today's number brought us. That's right. And I think just the hawkishness that we've seen from the, the, those three gentlemen um, in terms of Fed commentary over the last few days uh, is partially why you're seeing the reaction you are in the equity market today, just given that obviously the jobs market came in stronger than expected. It provides further basis for that a potential 75 basis point hike this month. Obviously, CPI, though, again, yeah. next week seems to be the much more critical indicator as we look to parse through where we are in the economy. Especially since, you know, the Fed has anchored its view to how much tightening is going to be necessary, much more to headline CPI inflation as opposed to core its own inflation measure of PCE. Mm-hmm. Than it did, which means it's anchoring itself more to gasoline prices. I think there's some silver lining there. Gas has come off uh, the highs pretty pretty significantly, and we'll see if that gets reflected, you know, soon. Clearly, the market, you know, by by selling off commodities as dramatically as they did, has been positioning for uh, you know the turn in this in this whole story, which is oh, guess what? Inflation is no longer the concern. It's actually much more about uh, slowing growth 
And we know markets overshoot in both directions in the short term. We'll see if that's what happens yeah, again. Yeah, oil is uh, definitely set for a losing week. We got those crazy inventory builds yesterday, yeah. uh, which uh, does show that maybe uh, the growth worries are more than offsetting uh, the tight supply. There is the shocking news this morning out of Japan. Former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was assassinated at a campaign event. He was shot while delivering a speech in the western city of Nara ahead of the weekend's parliamentary elections there. The suspect's been arrested. White House issued a statement saying it is shocked and saddened about the attack on Abe, who was Japan's longest-serving prime minister, Shinzo Abe, 67 years old. Although he was a former uh, PM, still very influential uh, in the country's politics. Some speculation said if he wanted to, probably could have run again or made a run uh, on the premiership. Uh, but just shocking news for a country where gun crime is practically non-existent. Yeah, and based on you know our community, he is most well known for Abenomics. Uh, just dramatic easing in that nation to try and jumpstart their economy and get it up and running. Uh, also known for um, more of a uh, an offensive stance in terms of uh, national security and getting their military ready in case anything were to happen, say, with North Korea or other neighboring countries. There's also been some uh, statements out of the investor community, which has had much more of a tie-up with Japan in recent years as it's become more open to even activist investing. Uh, you hear from Dan Loeb this morning where he made a statement saying the murder of Shinzo Abe is as devastating when we were active in Japan. We had numerous meetings with his cabinet and administration with him personally. Uh, you know, so you, you have seen that take place over the past few years, obviously a, a, a tie up with Trump as well. And we don't know, yeah, obviously much of anything about what might be behind this, but he certainly was identified with this tremendous shift in political culture in Japan over the you know prior bunch of years, Abenomic being part of it, uh, this idea that you didn't, you know, you could kind of revitalize things and maybe take more control over the financial market, something that's being tested in general by the policies over there with the yield curve control and everything else. Not really his job today, obviously not being in office, but uh, identified with that general activist stance of, of government trying to revitalize the, the corporate sector there. Yeah, uh, there have been some headlines this morning from the NARA police uh, that the gun was handmade and they're actually uh, unsure whether the bullet itself was handmade. Well, mm. as we learn more, we'll pass that along. Uh, Twitter shares are lower in the pre-market. The Washington Post, as you know by now, reported yesterday that Elon Musk's takeover deal may be in jeopardy. Sources tell the paper that Musk's team doesn't think the company's figures on spam accounts are reliable, although Twitter officials defended their numbers on that call with reporters that they delete a million spam accounts a day. Um, but again, we're back to we're back to the ongoing debate about what Musk's original intentions were and what his options and what the board's options are now. Right. And at the end of the day, this deal does not come down to bots. There is a merger agreement in place. It's pretty ironclad yeah. um, and there's no out for bots. And it's not as simple as just paying a billion dollar breakup fee and walking away. Deals do not work that way. And so if there is, you know, the board, if the Twitter board is compelled to say, you know what, this is too much noise. We're having issues with our employees, our stakeholders, all because of the, you know, will they, won't they close this deal. Maybe they could come to the table and renegotiate a price lower, but they don't have to because they have this agreement in place. And bots, by and large, at this point in the process, are not necessarily a material adverse uh, Clause that's right. That would that would cause them to break the deal. They have the, the board has the legal advantage. The company can enforce that. It's a question of what's the cost benefit analysis of doing so. If it comes down to that, you know, going to court, trying to fight it out, that prolonged process, the expense of it, 
you know, when a market, in a market where, you know, the stock trading around 37, mm-hmm. the, the deal price for cash is 54.20, okay? There was a massive spread already. There's massive implied uncertainty about the fact that this deal was going to be finalized as it was, even before the news yesterday. So clearly there's walkaway risk uh, sure. on some level uh, or something else that could come along the way. Also, yeah, as you know, Leslie, when you decide how much you're going to pay for a company that has a merger agreement and is going to theoretically be bought at a certain price, you have to input what you think that stock would trade for in the absence of a deal. Right. So if if that has gone down, the standalone Twitter valuation presumably gone down a lot since the deal was struck because of what's happened in the overall markets, then that just sort of feeds into the probability weighted price that it's trading for right now. Yeah, and presumably the floor for that is much lower than 3750 oh, yeah. where it's trading now because there is some sort of prop up based on, you know, the the hope make up that a number. If the number is 20, 20, then, you know, you have massive downside in the absence of a deal and you have limited upside based on the, the deal price. Yeah, but this deal, I mean, it has committed equity financing and has committed de- debt financing. Right. I mean, it's not like the financing itself, the financing markets have changed since this deal was signed. Sure. But they do have agreements in place. And, and they have obligations to, to finalize those those agreements and to get the financing in place. And they, you know, they, they can be held to it. Exactly. There. Although, you know, Delaware is nice this time of year. Yeah. From what wow. I hear. We, we may find out more about the weather in Delaware. <laughs> the president thinks so. <laughs> uh, when we return, Apple on the rebound shares up about double digits from its mid-June lows. We'll explore whether now is the time to get in on that stock. And let's take a look at the futures this hour after that hotter-than-expected jobs report. You can see, though, the market uh, still in the red. Dow Jones implied to open about 37 points lower this morning. More Squawk on the Street ahead. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Checking in on Apple, the stock up about 10% since hitting mid-June lows. Joining us now to discuss, Wamsi Mohan, Bank of America Senior IT Analyst. Uh, Wamsi, great to catch up with you. I mean, uh, Apple has kind of retained a lot of the outperformance that it built up through last year, I'd say. Uh, It's still slightly ahead of the S&P 500. Is that just uh, essentially a quality and safety benefit of, you know, the great balance sheet and the predictability? Or are things going on within Apple uh, that also are driving that? 
Yeah, thanks for having me. I think I think it's really both of those elements, right? I think uh, when you look at some of the stocks in our coverage universe, um, IBM, for instance, has has materially outperformed, and I think that's being treated more as a safe haven stock. In Apple's case, people are recognizing that there are a lot of headwinds associated with what's happening in China in terms of uh, the shutdown, uh, potentially, you know, another round of that coming, uh, the supply chain issues that Apple alluded to. Uh, four to eight billion dollars, right? So the people have been tuned in to all those issues and and sort of discounting some of that. Now at the same time, we are getting a lot of data points that are supporting uh, a pretty decent quarter here for Apple, given that supply availability has been very very good for Apple. All the products are apparently pretty much available uh, to buy. On the other hand, there is a there is a case here to be made that China might reopen much more strongly. It looks like the iPhone 14 is pretty much on time, which is net positive as you look into the September and December quarters. Um, and I would say that positioning is is actually fairly negative in a sense that on the margin, people are concerned that there would be a round of estimate cuts like you've seen across a lot of the hardware space uh, and semi space, and that that is yet to come. So on balance, I would say that it's not so much of a safe haven trade. I think there's a lot of Apple-specific things that are going on that are insulating it. The earnings power is not going to deteriorate as much as people are worried about. Right. I was going to say, so you don't expect there to be one of these rounds of estimate cuts, presumably. And what about the the, the App Store uh, income stream perceived vulnerability, at least at times uh, people were wondering about whether, you know, they, they kind of over-earn from, from App Store and services. Is that something that uh, people are going to have to lower their expectations for over the long term? Look, I, I think that on the services side, right, I mean, it's it's a very complicated basket of a lot of things. And, and if you look at the App Store, yes, the headline numbers are decelerating. And But if you look on a quarter-to-quarter basis, right, the App Store, uh, according to third-party data sources, grew about uh, roughly 5% in, in the second calendar quarter. If you look at the first calendar quarter, that was 6%. So the, mate- the materiality of the deceleration is only a point as it attributes to the App Store. But when you look at the broader picture, the bigger deceleration and the tougher comps that they're facing really comes from their Google licensing revenue. And that licensing revenue is what is causing a material deceleration here in the June quarter. So when you think about the 17% they reported last quarter versus, you know, we're, we're modeling 12% for this quarter, that's largely coming from the much tougher Google comps, which then start to get easier. Also, in the app stores start to get easier as you go to the back half of the year. So we, we think there's going to be a material reacceleration. And this deceleration here in services is, is sort of transitory and temporary here in the June quarter, which we think will be a bottom in terms of services growth rate uh, over the next several quarters. You know, Wamsi, there's a sort of don't overthink it thesis to, to Apple. Um, obviously, Warren Buffett owns five and a half more or more percent of it. He's not selling it. They buy back an enormous amount of stock uh, every year, committed to that. Uh, the company essentially has smoothed out the upgrade cycle. It's no longer as hit-driven as it used to be. Uh, I, I would say that that has you know, merit with a lot of investors, but is it already reflected in the valuation? Because it does now still hold that premium relative to where it has traded on a free cash flow yield basis or, or other basis in, prior, let's say, the prior decade. Yeah, when you look at the valuation over a longer term, right, and you mentioned a decade, I mean, I think Apple was trading in the low teens multiples back, at, uh, you know, 10 years ago. 
And since then, the valuation multiple has already uh, has expanded significantly. Apple is in this really unique position. A lot of people compare it to consumer staples. I think it's actually sort of different and better than consumer staples in some ways, right? First of all, you've got optionality of new products. You don't really have that sort of optionality, whether it be AR, VR, whether it's Apple in advertising, whether it's uh, you know in healthcare, whether what they're doing in 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 the broader sort of you know car market. So there's all this optionality of CAM expansion that people are not factoring in in their current estimates. I think the second element of the story, which is really powerful, different from Staples, is gross margin expansion. So you're seeing services becoming a larger piece of the mix, 70 plus percent gross margins versus product in the 30s. You have this real secular shift of gross margins moving higher. So I think it's really inappropriate to, to comp it to prior valuations. I actually think that the premium that Apple gets to the S&P valuation has expanded and will continue to expand over time just because you have the structural case to be made where products can be stable, services increasing as part of the mix, and gross margins moving higher, which is very atypical for any company of this size and scale. So we actually like the valuation uh, thesis mm -hmm. here. We actually think if you look at the TAM expansion plus the gross margin expansion, makes a very compelling long-term case for the story. And Wamsi, you see a $200 price target on the stock? Yeah, very much so. And, and look, I mean, there's yeah. always going to be fluctuations. There's always going to be... Um, you know, temporary dislocations and sure. stock price. And those are the opportunities. Those are the best opportunities to back up the truck and own Apple. Wamsi, appreciate your uh, thoughts today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Coming up this morning, we'll get that first reaction from the White House to this morning's jobs number. We'll talk to Cecilia Rouse, chair of the President's Council of Economic Advisors. She'll join us shortly after the opening bell. Meantime, keep your eye on futures. Uh, on this Friday, this Jobs Friday, as yields actually come off of that uh, knee-jerk bounce on the heels of the print. More Squawk on the Street in a moment. Whether you're shopping for grads, getting an early gift for dad, or just looking for a little something new or used for your shelf, you'll find it at HPB. And you'll get almost everything for an extra 20% off during the big sale at Half Price Books this Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, May 25th through Monday, May 27th. Save big in-store at your local Half Price Books and at HPB.com. Offer cannot be combined with other coupons. Exclusions apply. To learn more, visit HPB.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Levi Strauss up sharply in the pre-market. Company posts a quarterly beat on strength in direct-to-consumer, announces a nice 20% div hike. Last night on Mad Money's Chip Berg talked to Kramer about the stock performance since the 2019 IPO. When we went public, it was priced at 17, and we opened, you will remember, at 22 north of $22 a share. And, uh, you know, we've been unfortunately punished and pummeled with the rest of the industry. But I, our, the, the business, there's no question, we are a far stronger, far better company today than we were when we went public in, in March of 2019. And um, the valuation is a real opportunity for smart investors. 
Of course, the valuation explained largely by what's happened to apparel inventories and the fear of markdowns as we work our way through back to school and holiday. Absolutely. I mean, it actually, Levi has outperformed VF Corp over that span. It's been another troubled stock uh, with similar dynamics in terms of the macro. But if you look across apparel retail, anything, market's valuing it as if it's, it's really in shrink mode uh, at this point. You know, you talk about Abercrombie, Kohl's, uh, all of the apparel geared retailers are like that. So, yeah, in, in that context, 10 times forward earnings for Levi. Mm. It seems cheap, but not necessarily uh, that much more so than, than how people are viewing the overall industry. And maybe that is the opportunity, but uh, it's definitely the reality of that industry. Another interesting read through from that conversation last night is when uh, Mr. Berg talked about the value conscious consumer. That's the lower end consumer. Yeah. They are starting to feel the squeeze and making their purchasing decisions. They saw that with their uh, sales in Target, Walmart, and Amazon. Just at a time when they thought pricing had come back into uh, things like jeans, uh, which after many years of, of deflation. Let's get the opening bell here in the CNBC real-time exchange. At the big board, it is gold mining company, a Cisco development celebrating a recent listing. And at the NASDAQ, it is the Fresh Air Fund providing outdoor summer experiences to kids from New York City's underserved communities. Relatively balanced breadth here at the open, 3886. Uh, uh, as we uh, take stock of the week we've been given, just outsized political news between Abe and Boris Johnson, Mike. But overall, I wonder how, what, how much momentum is uh, built into this. And it's all leading up to a big print on Wednesday with CPI, as we said. Yeah, it is. I mean, S&P comes into the day more than 7% off its lows. It's another one of these rallies that has kind of raced right up to that point of you know, kind of a make or break as to whether it's going to be something more than just a, you know, another bounce, another counter trend bear market rally. We do have energy again, uh, energy stocks leading. Uh, that's been some of the most kind of violent whipsaw action. It seems like uh, the way I would view it anyway is the huge gut check in energy stocks after they got very crowded and became synonymous with momentum in this market. It kind of swept away maybe the last pocket of overconfidence in the market and almost everybody is back on the hey we don't really know we haven't got this thing figured out yet that's a net positive i think is for people not to feel like there's a, a skeleton key to the market uh, at any given moment um, but again it's a it's a it's a prove it market still uh, credit spreads really came in yesterday that had been a problem credits blowing out yield curve flattening really fed the recession uh the kind of recession anticipation energy and i think that that Got a little bit of a break this week. We'll see if it can continue. Yeah, FX has been interesting too, Carl. As you mentioned, the whole geopolitical situation, the dollar strengthening, uh, despite all of the concerns around inflation, um, the dollar has been strengthening against the euro almost at parity now, um, as the euro zone definitely has kind of more of an imminent sense of recession worries and, and fears surrounding their economy there. You see that take place, especially with what's going on in the energy complex and their, their sure. rationing of electricity. I experienced it firsthand when I was in Germany a few really? weeks ago. Yeah. What oh, happened? yeah. Uh, air conditioning. They just, I mean, basically turned it off, even though we were at a big conference with a ton of people. Um, it was a heat wave as well, but no, it was... I mean uh, Our yeah. hotel rooms were rationing air conditioning. The conference was rationing air conditioning. Yeah. And so uh, FT, big piece this morning. Germany rationing hot water, uh, dimming streetlights, shutting swimming yep. pools, all in an attempt to just go into the winter with as much head of steam as you possibly can. Yeah, as uh, much gas and yep. storage and everything else. No, it's, uh, and, you know, we, we've been in these, uh, in these scenarios before when it was 
you know, the U.S. on a relative basis was more resilient growth wise. Uh, but usually what you had is there was a disinflationary uh, kind of overlay to that. Right. You basically right. in early 2010s, it was, yeah, Europe's having a hard time, sovereign debt crisis, economy struggling. Um, the out was it was a disinflationary episode and maybe it still is just from higher levels of inflation. And therefore, we had low rates. Central banks could, could stay easy. So I think that's the tricky part of this environment and, and figuring out whether the economy here can, can power through. Well, certainly uh, regarding energy, uh, it sort of leads you to Oxy and Buffett and adding <laughs> yeah. another, another 700 million, uh, 12 million shares uh, with the stake now approaching 19 percent. Clearly not at all bothered by the dip we saw in recent days, back above the 50-day, by the way, for the first time since June 14th. Yeah, and in fact, he's probably encouraged by it. But you have seen this trade, as Mike was mentioning, where, you know, inflation signals by commodities, by energy, disinflation signals by tech. Uh, today, what's interesting, the, the biggest outperformer from a sector basis is financials. And yeah. of course, next week, we head into earnings season, second quarter earnings season. You've seen a large swath of analysts lowering their estimates and lowering them pretty significantly sure. going into the season um, at the end of the quarter. And despite all of that, you've got, you know, relative pockets of strength in financials on the basis probably of this jobs report and the, the sense that people don't feel like we are in a recession right now. And therefore, perhaps the two Q numbers for things like M&A and wealth management you know, could yeah. hold up a little or, better. Or at least uh, those concerns about investment banking and underwriting are going to be offset by net int interest income. You know, we're all waiting right. to hear about, about his reserves, right? Yes. And that'll sure. tell you what their roadmap is going to be going into 23. Yep. And we saw a mixed picture last quarter on the reserves front uh, with JP Morgan, of course, being a bit more conservative. Many of its peers uh, taking some of those reserves down as they look ahead to the future. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2Q. Yeah. I mean, the credit. Store, credit piece has been swinging the stocks around more than anything else, yes. I think, in the anticipation of weaker economy. I mean, just talking about uh, financials and credit, I mean, on the, on the kind of fringes, upstart holdings down 23 uh, percent this morning. Already a very, very tough road for it. It's, you know, 93 percent off its highs. This was a very, very kind of widely embraced kind of new age leader. You know, a, they, they had a better AI driven uh, credit underwriting, uh, you know, process. Actually, had a downgrade from Morgan Stanley last week with the stock already down, basically saying that they were going to have a hard time meeting their numbers. They did warn they weren't going to meet their already reduced financial uh, guidance. And part of the issue is the capital markets where they sell their loans up to, they fund, it funds the business. That's become a little bit less generous. And, and see, uh, here you're seeing the results. Now, $2.2 billion market cap. Yep. That was one of the hottest stocks in the, in the NASDAQ yep. for they, much of last year. They see a Q2 loss uh, in the $30 million range. Prior mm -hmm. guidance was flat to down four. And they say, oh, look, our, our space is funding constrained. We're having to take a lot of our loans and move them to cash, which is uh, impacting our revenue negatively. Right. But on the positive side, you look at the, the big banks that are exposed to FIC trading, fixed income currencies and commodities trading. People are very excited about that, just given the recent volatility yeah. uh, and the prospect that that could be a boon to their earnings. Um, probably not in the second quarter because this week is beyond that, but at least from a guidance standpoint, looking forward. Sticking with uh, with money stuff, Bitcoin gets to 22.5, uh, which Mike is <laughs> is up 20 percent from yeah. the uh, the lows a couple weekends ago. Yeah, I, I really always thought you had to use kind of um, commodity futures type mental scales with the moves in Bitcoin, meaning, you know, forget about the 20 percent moves of bull or bear market. Forget it. It just swings kind of wildly within and outside uh, its trend. So, uh, you know, again, still in sync 
generally speaking, with NASDAQ 100 type, you know, buy, sell, uh, binary action. Um, not, you know, hard to know what this says. If it says essentially we've kind of purged enough of the leverage from the system and uh, have, have taken our lumps in terms of who has to sell uh, or, or basically the, the customer's flight that you might have seen uh, from users. But uh, yeah, 21, long way from 60. Uh, but uh, but also, 65. you know, double the 10,000 level that a lot of people have been targeting on the downside as, as the ultimate uh, sell targets. So potential capitulation there. I mean, short term, maybe. You know, we'll see. Uh, it, it, it looks like, you know, there's a lot of rebuild that has to happen, you know, in the charts. And I think a lot of weeks you'd want to go by where the space is somewhat quiet in terms of, you know, who's getting bailed out and, and, and who's, you know, prohibiting withdrawals of deposits and things like that. Yeah. Our overall, most sectors lower. We mentioned the banks. Those are the, pretty much the only uh, sector that's green aside from staples. Some strength in, uh, in travel. Uh, TSA throughput yesterday, 2.2 uh, million mm. as people continue to travel. Uh, we did get a downgrade, though, of American. Uh, AAL out of Argus. They go to hold. Uh, they say high debt uh, relative to, the, to peers and the likelihood that you're going to be able to work that off and pay your pilots and pay for fuel is getting tougher and tougher. Oh, absolutely. The challenges there are tremendous. Interesting in today's jobs report, though, um, leisure and hospitality, that group was the second highest uh, additions with 67,000 jobs in June followed, uh, following the professional and business services sector, which saw an increase of 74,000 in June. So clearly a lot of hiring going on there, but a lot of need to your point in kind of filling those gaps as just travel has ramped up beyond, I think, most management team's expectations. Yes, yes. Uh, getting back to the jobs number, by the way, coming in better than expected, as we said, in June, 372,000 jobs added. It does quell some recession fears. Joining us this morning for the White House's first reaction is Cecilia Rouse, White House Council of Economic Advisors Chair. Chair Rouse, it's great to have you back. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. Uh, a fascinating report. There's a lot in there. I, I wonder, is the view from the White House more about sustained strength in job growth or signs that uh, wage growth, for example, is moderating? Well, look, this report reflects the historic gains we've made as we've recovered from the pandemic recession in the labor market. We see, we've seen this continues the employment growth. And what we learned, as you noted, was that the, the economy added 372,000 jobs. 381,000 jobs in the private sector, such that now the private sector em employment is actually just above where it was in February of 2020 when the recession began. So this report reflects that there are uh, employment opportunities that are rather broadly based. Unemployment remains at 3.6%. Uh, and we, while there was a tick down in labor force participation, that, no that is a number that does bounce from month to month. And if you look overall over the past over the past year, we've seen historic gains in labor force participation as well. So this report reflects that our labor market remains strong despite the challenges and headwinds. And it reflects that the U.S. economy has got some some room to, to face the challenges uh, as the Fed negotiates inflation and as we deal with the war of Russia against Ukraine. You mentioned participation uh, and there is some noise in there, but I wondered to the degree that there is something going on in the downtick, do you think it's about lingering COVID concerns or is it about the sustainability of excess savings and the, the, not necessarily the need to go out and, and look for work? What's going on, do you think? Well, again, these numbers are noisy from month to month and this fluctuation is not unusual uh, month to month in the labor, in the labor survey. Um, 
But, you know, we did see a tick up in the number of people who reported that they were not in the labor force due to COVID um, or that they were not that they were not at work due to COVID. And so we know that the with the BA.4 and BA.5, that COVID is still with us. Uh, but fundamentally, what we saw in this report is that we are learning to live alongside COVID and that our labor force uh, and our eco labor economy continues to make historic gains. Chair Rouse, I'm curious, given the backdrop of this unemployment picture, uh, are you surprised that consumer sentiment is at a record low right now? And obviously there's the inflation backdrop that's playing a huge role in this. But what does that tell you about just the, the state of the economy and Americans' willingness to go out and spend? Well, we know that Americans are, are continuing to spend. Yes, there was a, a slight decline in, in retail sales, but overall, we know that con, uh, consumption and expenditures remain rather robust. Uh, you know, quite frankly, I, I suspect that the sentiment numbers reflect that we've had two really hard years. This pandemic has been a struggle and a challenge both personally for many people uh, in terms of the health uh, emergency and the pandemic and then the, the effects that that had on the labor market and employment. And now what we have is the knock on of inflation, which we know is a challenge for households, which is why the president is focused on reducing uh, costs for families uh, it, through prescription costs, childcare costs, uh, focused on reducing the deficit, which we know helps with inflation as well um, and prices. And so, you know, I think that it's been I think it's been a really hard two years. But what this report reminds us is that we have a resilient economy, that the labor force and uh, our employers are continuing to add jobs and that there are opportunities out there across a variety of industries. You know, even leisure and hospitality, which still needs to, to see some recovery, is still gaining jobs, as you, as you noted. So, uh, you know, this report reflects that we have the bones are, are, are relatively good there in our economy and that it's, it's got the resilience to, to, for the challenges that we know are, are we're going to be facing ahead. Uh, well, Chair Rouse, you, you did mention, um, you know, the president's focus on inflation. He has uh, essentially acknowledged the Fed's primary role in trying to restrain inflation, given the fact that, you know, the Fed and Fed officials have essentially acknowledged that that effort might involve and might likely involve softening up uh, consumer demand, perhaps uh, dealing with higher uh, unemployment over the course of the next several quarters. How does the White House view that as the, the, the possibility that, in fact, the economy uh, might actually uh, have to have some kind of a downturn in order to achieve what's necessary on inflation? Well, what we what the Fed hopes and what we certainly hope is that the Fed is able to achieve price stability and bring down inflation while maintaining maximum employment as well. Um, and again, the robust uh, labor market we see with the reports like this, uh, the robust growth we had last year suggests that there is some room uh, for the Fed to maneuver. The president's goal is that we make a transition to steady, sustainable growth, uh, where we have wage gains that are due to productivity. Um, and he understands that that involves bringing under inflation under control. And so that is why he's give, he wants to give the Fed the room that they need and the independence that they need to bring inflation under control while continuing to make the kinds of investments we know we need to be making in order to increase economic capacity in our, in our economy. That's why he's focused on, again, reducing prices for American people, uh, making the investments we know we need to be making as we transition to clean energy. Uh, that's why the bipartisan infrastructure law is so important, allowing us to make the kinds of investments in physical infrastructure that are so overdue in our economy. 
And it is why we need to be increasing taxes for the very wealthiest individuals and for corporations so that we can pay for these kinds of investments responsibly. So we, are, we have our eye on that transition to a steady, uh, stable economic growth because we know that that's the kind of growth that will sustain us and that can be more widely shared. Finally, Chair, I, I wonder if you'll take one question on, on energy prices. Uh, we've watched oil, another losing week this week. Gas prices have rolled over. Uh, wholesale gas is down a buck from the highs. We've got thousands of gas stations with uh, gas in the threes. Uh, the president's been jawboning the gas companies and, and producers to, to refine more and produce more. But I wonder, with this rollover, is it understandable why some of the industry would want to remain cautious? So we understand and the president understands that uh, the price of oil, gas, many energy, energy prices are priced on the global market. Uh, and what he really was uh, saying is, look, uh, you've, you received some assistance during the pandemic. Uh, you've been making record profits. You, make a, you have a decision about what to do with those excess gains. But look, he understands that it's a global market. That's why he's focused on increasing production to get more oil on the market. Uh, he had the historic releases from the SPRO working with our, um, our allies. Uh, and so uh, he welcomes, and I welcome, uh, the, the decrease in gas prices because we know that's just so important to American families. We know that energy prices seep, not only do, are they reflected in headline inflation, but they seep into many other uh, goods as well and are, get reflected in core inflation. So this, that, this is a welcome development, and we look forward to further stabilization in our, in our energy markets. Yeah, we will see uh, where, where the, the future leads us, uh, Chair Rouse. Appreciate it, as always, on the heel of the, of the jobs number. Uh, have a good weekend. Thanks. Thank Cecilia you. Rouse of the CEA. Uh, she's right about the last bit, and that is it has huge input ramifications. And I wonder whether or not come guidance and uh, Q2 earnings, if we'll begin to hear a little bit about moderation at the end of the quarter, Mike. Yeah, uh, it would seem, uh, you know, some of the, the May end quarter stuff, you, you got a, le a leading edge of that. So th that would be nice to uh, nice to see because we're fixated on profit margins. Everyone assumes that numbers have to come down a lot. Uh, remains to be seen whether that's going to be an across the board effect on corporate earnings. Yeah, I also wonder, you know, everybody says from the Fed to the White House, they don't want to see the worst case scenario. They don't want to see a severe recession. Um, you know, the Fed wants to get to a point in raising rates where they have the tools to then once again ease if we do get to that point. I'm curious, though, with the White House, we've got, um, you know, midterm elections this year. It just seems like 2023 could be a pretty pivotal time if we did need some sort of fiscal stimulus in addition to monetary stimulus. If we do have kind of that worst case scenario in terms of a severe recession, I wonder if people are going to be talking more about that. <laughs> they might be talking more about it, but it's actually really interesting because it seems as if that's gotten part of the blame, right or wrong, for the inflation. So exactly. it's, it's, it's for the it's political been, capital to do it again. Yeah, it, it doesn't it's seem to be, be there given what's going to happen after the midterms. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it would be an uphill climb. As we go to break, uh, take a look at bonds this morning. Uh, a lot of news, obviously, in the macro world, given the, the jobs number. Take a look at how treasuries are faring today as we did get a spike, at least in the front end. Uh, two years still close to 312. Uh, as the Dow down 43 on this final day of the week. Don't go away. Busy morning today in Sun Valley. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell is going to talk to Julia Borston live from there. Talk some streaming rights. Uh, just one of the issues they'll be discussing. That's going to be fascinating. In the meantime, uh, early session lows. Dow's one down 130. Back in a moment. 
Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Hedge fund numbers trickling out a little later than usual because of the long holiday weekend. It appears, at least based on early data, that many of the larger diversified funds are the ones eking out significant gains in this volatile year for the first half, as well as for June. According to a person familiar with the figures, Citadel's flagship Wellington Fund returned about 4.1% in June, bringing its year-to-date performance to about 17.5%. Obviously, significant alpha over the broader indexes there. All five of its core strategies, though, commodities, fixed income, equities, quant, and credit were positive in June. Similarly, the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater's flagship Pure Alpha strategy, returned 32%, a massive rebound after years of underperformance for the macro-oriented strategy there. Now contrast that to the more tech-focused funds like Tiger Global, which was positive in June, but lost 50% during the first half of the year. Pershing Square, which is also largely exposed to just stocks, was down 26%. June. We should get aggregate numbers for hedge fund performance later today, but at least based on early indications, it appears that the larger funds, whether multi-strategy, macro-focused, are continuing to work far better in 2022 than their long-short equities peers. Obviously, this is, again, more of a reversion to the mean, given that underperformance in recent years, especially from macro. Um, Not so much multi-strat. Those have held up pretty well in recent years, but macro is definitely having its day in the sun this year, just given all the confluence of factors and the confluence of different types of asset classes as well. There has to be a trend-following component to the macro, to the credit, to the fixed income for it to have worked this year. So essentially, the only way you put up great numbers is your short stocks and bonds, your long commodities, and you're Mm -hmm. following the trends and not getting off them because they've been relentless. Um, So I would say that. And then in terms of long-short equity, you almost couldn't be short enough to really do anything on an absolute basis this year. Yeah, and we had some interesting data out of um, S3 partners earlier this week where they talked about how there was significant alpha in some of the more popular shorted names earlier this year that did actually narrow. um, And it was less less of a boon for some of these long short managers in June. So you are starting to see that come down a bit as well as in terms of a benefit for these managers. We'll see if the mean reversion uh, continues (laughs) into Q3. Uh, Coming up this morning, we'll talk to Goldman's chief economist, Jan Hatzius, about the jobs number, about the fact that they took their Q2 uh, GDP numbers down again yesterday and the road ahead for rates in a moment. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.